So you heard it from the mouths of our kids up there when they were talking. Uh, the challenge has been issued to the church, has it not? Right? They all shared their testimonies. They shared uh, the things that they did, the people that they shared the gospel with. Uh, then they challenged us, right? And so the challenge is there. Uh, and so I'm hopefully going to continue to challenge us more. Um, if you remember a couple weeks ago, I stood up here and I brought some of our team members up and I just talked about our vision for the trip and how it wasn't necessarily about um, just going and just serving somewhere for a week so that we could feel good about ourselves. All right, our vision for the trip all along has been uh, that we would uh, go and, and, yes, make an impact there dur during that week in Philadelphia, but even more so that we would come back here and that that would empower us and equip us to live on mission in our daily lives here. Uh, and then in turn, us 15 people would come back uh, and hopefully empower our church as a whole to do the same thing. Uh, so that's what I want to do this morning is I want to continue to challenge our group from Philadelphia and then challenge the rest of the church as well uh, to continue what we did in Philadelphia and to apply that here uh, in living on mission. Uh, and so with that, uh, let's go to God's word uh, and see what he has for us there. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Isaiah chapter 61. If you don't have a Bible or you would like one or need one, if you go ahead and raise your hand, uh, Dan or somebody in the back would be happy to bring you one. Um, but again, if you grab your Bible, open to Isaiah 61. All right. And before we uh, go to God and his word, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. All right, so let's pray. Father in heaven, we know that you've spoken to us in your word. And we, God, we thank you for saving us by your grace this morning. And I pray now that, God, you would just help us to be receptive and open uh, to what you would have us hear from you this morning. And so, God, fill us with your spirit this morning. And God, change us. Don't let us be the same people when we walk out of here that we were when we walked in this morning. God, give us conviction for the lost people in our communities and send us out in the power of your spirit to proclaim the gospel uh, in this area and to the ends of the earth. And Lord, it's in Christ's name I pray all these things. Amen. All right, so Isaiah 61, if you're there. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read, starting in verse 1, I'm going to read through verse 3 here. Uh, it says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Okay, so let's talk about what's being said here. So look at verse 1 with me. It's that the prophet Isaiah is writing this, and so being directed and inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's anticipating the arrival and the ministry of the Messiah, okay, the, the anointed one by God to bring salvation. Right, that's what it says. I mean, look, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Right? He's anticipating the coming of the Messiah, the anointed one, to bring salvation. 
Uh, and so this, this idea of a coming Messiah is really kind of a summary of the entire Old Testament. Uh, so Genesis 3, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, you know in Genesis 3 that immediately after God creates uh, the entire world and Adam and Eve, they rebel against him, right? They eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and in so doing, plunge all of humanity, us included, into sin uh, and rebellion and death and condemnation. However, immediately after they sin, in Genesis 3, verse 15, uh, there's what's known as kind of the first announcement of the gospel, because God says, uh, immediately after putting the curse on all of creation, says uh, that there will come one day where there will be a man born of a woman who will crush the serpent's head, right? who will undo the curse of sin and death in the world. And so from that point forward, this thread kind of runs through the entire Old Testament, to where the whole Old Testament is looking forward to the coming of this Messiah, this, this person who will be anointed by God, who will come into the power of God's Spirit to crush the works of Satan and to undo the curse and bring salvation to mankind. And so in Isaiah 61, verse 1, the prophet Isaiah picks up on this. Uh, and in this case, he directly and explicitly predicts the coming of this Messiah. And so that's what verse 1 is, predicting the Messiah is coming in the power of God's Spirit. Now looking at the next couple of verses, uh, in these next couple of verses, uh, what Isaiah really gives us is the Messiah's mission statement, kind of. So if he says he's going to come in the power of God's Spirit, and then this is what he's going to do. And so look at it with me. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. To do what? To bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Uh, so as we read these verses, a number of things probably stand out to you, but I think the main thing that should stand out is the redemptive language that's being spoken here. Right? Can, can, you, can you just feel the hope as you read these words, like this, like this is good stuff here. Right? He sent me to proclaim good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, right? to proclaim liberty to the captives. Right? Can, can you, can you can just feel the hope in those words, that the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he's going to do this. He's going to bring good news. He's going to bring freedom and healing and hope and salvation. And so that's really the mission statement of the Messiah. When he comes in the power of God's Spirit, this is what he's going to do. Now, all of these things, uh, they, they may have some kind of literal, physical uh, meaning to them, but I think they're best uh, interpreted as, as spiritual things. Uh, so when he comes, he's, he may you know, bring good news to the, those who are literally and physically poor, he might bring good news and maybe set free some people who are actual literal slaves. But I think the, what, what's being said here primarily is that he's going to bring good news to those who are spiritually poor, those who are spiritually bankrupt, those who are enslaved to sin and death, spiritually captive and spiritually broken, which again is everybody outside of Christ. So that's speaking to everybody all of creation, all of mankind that ever has existed or will existed is outside of Christ, poor, broken-hearted, and captive. 
So that's the mission statement of the Messiah. Now, look down a little further with me. Look what happens, though, when the Messiah will preach the good news to the poor and when he'll proclaim liberty to the captives. Right, jumping down, it says, uh, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness. So, so do you see what the Messiah is going to do? He's going to take these people who were once poor and broken and captive. He's going to take them. He's going to bring redemption and salvation, so much so that they go from being uh, in that broken, needy condition to having, as it says here, a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. Right? They'll have the oil of gladness instead of mourning. And they'll have a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. This is what the Messiah will bring to his people. He will take us, his broken people, turn us from being poor and broken, sinful, separated from God, and he'll turn us into this, a garment of praise to the Lord, having the oil of gladness, oaks of righteousness planted by the Lord himself. This is what's going to happen when the Messiah comes in the power of the Spirit to accomplish his mission. One final thing I want to point out with this passage. If you may have noticed, I left out the last kind of phrase of verse 3 there. It says, that he may be glorified. And so the final ultimate goal of the Messiah coming and bringing salvation is for the glory of the Lord God. And this is amazing news for us, and here's why. Because it means that our best interests and God's best interests are, are one and the same thing. So our joy and God's glory are one and the same thing. All right? Because if you notice, right, God takes us, brings salvation, and turns our mourning uh, into, what does it say, the garment of praise, right? Gives us a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise, right? That's for our good, right? That is our ultimate joy, the salvation that the Messiah will bring. At the same time, it is also for the glory of God. So when the Messiah comes, he will save his people, bringing them their ultimate, final joy and glory to God the Father. So that's what's going to happen when the Messiah comes. He's going to come. He's going to bring salvation to all who would believe in him for their joy and for God's glory. Now, Turning your Bibles ahead with me to Luke chapter 4. I'll give you a minute to turn there. And while you're turning there, um, just a quick side note. The events that take place in Luke chapter 4 are taking place approximately 700 years after Isaiah wrote Isaiah 61. Okay, so you can imagine that by this time, 700 years later, uh, the Jewish people are probably getting a little impatient. Are they not? Like, okay, Isaiah, you promised the coming of the Messiah who's going to bring salvation. We've been waiting hundreds of years. Where is he? We're still waiting. Uh, So remember that as kind of the background for Luke chapter 4 here. So Luke chapter 4, I'm going to start in verse 16 and read through 21. And I, I love this passage, and I'll tell you why in a second. So start in verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. 
And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Does that sound familiar? Okay, it should, if it doesn't. Uh, Continuing. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So did you catch what just happened in that text? Who's he when it's talking? It says, and he came to Nazareth. Who is that? Yes, Jesus, right? So Jesus, who is from Nazareth, that's his hometown. He goes back to his hometown when he begins his ministry on earth. He goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath. He stands up to read. He takes the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He opens it to Isaiah 61. He reads the first couple of verses from it. Hands the scroll back to a guy. Goes, sits down, so everyone's looking at him. Can you just picture this in your head? Reads that, sits down. Everyone's looking at him. And then he just says, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He just claimed to be the guy who Isaiah was talking about in Isaiah 61. And this is crazy because, again, this is Jesus' hometown. This would be like me when I get to be about 30 years old, just standing up here one day, open Isaiah 61, and just say, hey, that guy he's talking about, that's me. I mean, can you imagine? I hope you would respond with some harsh words to me. Um, <laughs> Because that, that's just ridiculous. Like, you don't do that. You don't just stand up in your hometown and just claim to be the Messiah, the anointed one from God who's going to bring salvation. But that's exactly what Jesus did. And so if you read on, and, and we won't right now, uh, but the people of Nazareth don't really appreciate that, and so they kind of kick him out. Um, again, they don't, they don't appreciate that. So they've been waiting hundreds of years for the Messiah and anticipating it. And then he finally comes and standing in front of them, says, I'm the guy, and then they reject him and kick him out. But was he the Messiah? Right? And we don't have time today to get into, um, you know, was Jesus who he claimed to be? Uh, but we absolutely believe very strongly that he was. Right? You read through the Gospels. Jesus came, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, just like Isaiah 61 said he would, in some cases he literally opened the eyes of the blind and literally set free those who were oppressed and held captive. Right? He performed miracles, brought people back from the dead. I mean, you name it through the Gospels, turn water into wine. I mean, he did all kinds of miracles, right? Showing and proving to everybody that I'm the guy of Isaiah 61. I am the Spirit-anointed Messiah who's bringing salvation. The day is here. And so he did that. He preached good news to the poor while he was on earth. He proclaimed liberty to the captives. And then ultimately, it comes to his final days. Uh, so he lived the perfect life in power of the Spirit, right? Died the death we deserved, and in so doing, absorbed the wrath that we were due for our sin, and then rose again victorious over the grave. So that we, when we are united to Christ by 
faith, we experience the salvation that Isaiah is talking about in Isaiah 61. Right, and so if you're in here today and you don't know Christ, if you are not a Christian, you would not call yourself a Christian, I just want to encourage you and say to you, Jesus is and was and will be the guy. Right, apart from him right now, I'm here to tell you that the brokenhearted, poor, captive, if you don't know Christ, that is you. And that is everybody outside of Christ. Poor, spiritually bankrupt, separated from God, rebellious against God, captive to sin, right, and do God's wrath. And so if that's you in here, I just want to be straight with you and urge you, believe on the name of Jesus and make this the day of salvation for you. Now, if you're in here today and you are a Christian, if you have believed on the name of Jesus, I want to encourage you by saying Isaiah 61 is true of you as well. Because you once were poor and brokenhearted and oppressed and enslaved to death. But now, Isaiah 61.3, right, that is now true of you. He has taken your brokenness, healed you of it, and made you an oak of his righteousness for your joy and for his glory. And so, man, brothers and sisters in Christ in here today, we need to think on these things constantly. We need to remember who we once were apart from Christ and dwell on the fact that now God has made us his sons and his daughters by his grace. And so we need to respond to the Lord in worship. Now, I'm going to go back to Isaiah 61 now. I'll have you flipping all over the place. So back to Isaiah 61. Uh, you may have noticed as I was reading through that I, I left out verse 4, and I did that for a reason. Okay, because I want to come back to that now. So we know from Isaiah 61, 1 to 3, Isaiah is predicting the coming of the Messiah, the anointed one who will bring salvation. Luke chapter 4, 700 years later, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth shows up on the scene says, I'm the Messiah, I'm the guy. He fulfills that prophecy, brings salvation to all people. And then we come back to verse 4 in Isaiah 61. And I'll read it now. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. So my question for this verse and for you guys is this. Who is they? Who are those people? Yeah, us. They, in verse 4, those are the people who in the previous verses were once poor and brokenhearted and captive and enslaved to sin. So they, if you are in here and you are a Christian, you are in Christ, they, that is us. Right? Talking about us, the body of Christ now. And so what is it that they do? In short, and to sum it up, they, Christians now, participate in the redemption of a broken and fallen world. All right, so not only does God take the, the poor and the brokenhearted and the captives, not only does he give them beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness, the garment of praise, not only does he make them oaks of righteousness, 
who will worship him. But he takes them and he sends them and says, okay, now you're going to participate with me in the redemption of this broken and fallen world. Uh, John 20, 21. You don't have to turn there necessarily. Um, but Jesus, after rising from the dead, comes back. He meets with his disciples and he says these words to them. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now, that verse is really easy to just kind of glance over, like, even as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you, yada, yada, yada. But, like, think about how ridiculous that is. As, as God the Father sent Jesus to accomplish his mission on this earth, even in the same way Jesus is sending his followers on the same mission, in the exact same way. And so what did God the Father send Jesus to do? Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 3. Proclaim liberty to the captives, to set free those who are oppressed, to preach the gospel to all peoples and to the ends of the earth, that men and women who are lost might be saved for their joy and for God's glory. That was the mission of Christ, and it still is the mission of Christ. His mission is now the church's mission. Right, so that when Christ ascended into heaven, he passed the baton onto us and said, okay, it's your turn now. Carry on my mission. Right, so church, that's our mission. That is essentially at least part of the mission statement of the church. To preach good news to the poor, to set free those who are oppressed, to preach the gospel to our community and to all nations. It was Christ's mission He's handed the mission off to us. So how are we doing? How are we doing with that? I'm just asking. Are, are we engaging our community and, and the world with the gospel? Are, are we proclaiming good news to the poor? Are we setting at liberty those who are oppressed? Are we binding up the brokenhearted? Because they're out there. All right, listen, we're in Philadelphia. I mean, we're in, for lack of a better term, the hood. I mean, rough neighborhood. I, you can ask the team. I asked them the first night we got there, what do you think of the neighborhood? And the word that came up was sketchy. <laughs> it's a rough place. We, I mean, you could see drug dealers go down on the corner. It just, that's what it was. And so it's very obvious there that the people in this neighborhood, they are poor, they are brokenhearted, they are captives, they are enslaved to sin. Very obvious. It's not so obvious here, but I'm telling you, it's true. You walk around our communities, you drive around, go anywhere, people outside of Christ are still just as poor, just as brokenhearted, just as enslaved to sin as they are in inner city Philadelphia. We just hide it better because we're wealthier. That's the truth of it. We don't look as broken, we don't look as poor, we don't look as sinful and rebellious, but we are. And so our mission applies to the church here just as much as it does to Urban Hope and any other church in inner city Philadelphia. The poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, those people who are dead in sin are all around us. And our mission has been given to us. Preach the gospel to them. So how are we doing? I want to end by saying this. I'm just going to keep it short. Um, 
because again, we have the video and other things we need to do. But I just want to keep it short and issue, hopefully, a strong challenge. And again, I just want to end by saying this. Uh, every day we were in Urban Hope, we'd always end up driving to another part of the city. And as we would drive, I would always see other churches just kind of sprinkled throughout the neighborhood. And even in the, we're, I spent a lot of time as well in a, a Cambodian neighborhood on the other side of Philadelphia. And I would see kind of churches in that neighborhood as well. And as I would drive by, actually my first instinct when I saw these churches was like, oh, praise God, there's a, you know, there's a church here and there's another church over here. My second thought was this, where are they? Are they, are they doing anything to help this? Are they engaging this community with the gospel the way Urban Hope is? And I want to be careful here because maybe they are, and I hope and pray that they are. I didn't see much of it. I didn't see other churches out there engaging their community the way Urban Hope is. Urban Hope, man, sending out people all the time. You're just going to go and talk to people and share the gospel. And we just kind of showed up. They told us we're going to do that. We're like, okay, let's go do it. But again, I'd see these churches, and I was just frustrated. Like, where are you? Like, yeah, you have, yeah, come visit us on your sign, cool. But like, there are people out here, thousands of people within one square mile, and you're like, what are you doing to preach the gospel to them? Because they're brokenhearted, they're captive, they're poor, and they need the gospel. It's like, where are you? I couldn't help but wonder. And as I drive around this community, sometimes I wonder the same thing. And again, I don't wanna, I'm not trying to knock on other churches here because I know that there are churches in our communities and in this area who are engaging Northwest Ohio with the gospel. But my question for our church here today is who is going to be the urban hope of this community? Who's going to be the church that is not content to just say, sure, you know, just come visit us, sure, we open doors, I'll come in at 10 o'clock. But who's not going to be content with that? Who's going to go out in the community and intentionally and actively and passionately preach the gospel to the community so that men and women might be saved? I mean, they, they said it in some of the videos. I think Colin may even said it explicitly. That's what our church needs to do. Right? We've been, Christ came on his mission. He brought salvation to all of us if we're in Christ. He saved us, and now he's sent us. We've been given the mission. And I think it's time we step up and we start taking that seriously and just doing it. That better? There we go. All right. So, that was kind of an odd interruption. Anyways, we've been given the mission, right? The baton has been passed on to us. Let's carry it on. Let's take the gospel to Wauseon, to Pettisville, Archibald, Delta, Toledo, Northwest Ohio. Let's go. The mission is ours. All right, now, 
with that. In just a second, we're going to have the kids come out from Children's Church. So we're going to kind of show you guys a couple things uh, that we did when we were at the park program in Philadelphia. Um, and again, just something that we want to show you uh, and something that we want to implement here at True North as we try to engage our community with the gospel. Because I can tell you that I'm ready for us 15 people who went to Philly to come back here. And I, as we were in the Philly, I already had things rolling in my mind. All right, we're going to start doing this. We're going to start doing this. We're going to start doing this. All right, it's time to start engaging our community with the gospel. And so before the kids come out, before we have a little fun with them, um, let's just close uh, with a word of prayer to the Lord. Father in heaven, we thank you for sending your Son in the power of your Spirit, uh, Lord, on his mission to bring salvation to us all. Lord, to take us from being broken and poor and needy sinners uh, and making us oaks of righteousness for your name. And so, Father, we now pray that you would send us out in the same way that you sent your Son. God, send us in the power of your Spirit to take the gospel to our community and to the ends of the earth. Lord, don't give us a spirit of timidity, but give us a spirit of boldness, just as you gave the apostles a spirit of boldness in the book of Acts. God, send us out. Lord, our community is hurting, it's dying. It needs the gospel. God, you've saved us for this purpose. So again, we just beg, Lord, that you would send us out with boldness and the power of your spirit. And Father, we do pray for our community. We pray for revival, God, that you would pour out your spirit on lost men and women, that they might be saved, that they might come to know the name of Jesus, that they might worship you for their joy and for your glory. So God, again, we can't ask you enough. Send us out from this place to go and to be your church in Northwest Ohio. Lord, as we end now, I just pray that you'd help us to worship you. Help us remember who we once were apart from you and who you've made us to be. So maybe worship you, God, with full hearts and with great joy. And ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.